Good morning, everyone. Uh, just a short class uh, to begin our day with breakfast. The, this morning, I was thinking, uh, uh, this week, I guess, is the yard site of uh, Jeanette Feldman. And when Gary went up to the Torah this morning, he, we did a hashkava for his mom, and he added my mom. And although we, we generally don't think of heaven, I, I, don't think, I don't think what it's like in heaven. And uh, I just had this, uh, this thought because my mom was a very close friend of Jonti. And uh, actually, before my mom passed away, she had, she had mentioned her. And I just had this, this vision, this thought of, you know, the girls back together. I don't know what it's like. Like I say, none of us know what it's like in heaven. But I just had this thought of uh, of all of the friends. We, you, you know, when someone passes away, we look at all the pictures coming together and uh, in some way being together. Uh, it was just a little comforting doing the hashkava and thinking about that this morning. So this week we we read of the revelation at Har Sinai, the giving of the Aseret Hadibrot, the Ten Commandments, the Ten Statements, and we call this portion Yitro. Yitro is the father-in-law of Moshe Rabbeinu. He's honored in having this important parashah name for him. And perhaps uh, it's because he's the first, it seems, uh, after Yetziat Mitzrayim, to openly bless Hashem. We say that Yitro says, Baruch Hashem. And Yitro gives advice to Moshe on governing the people. Yitro is called the Kohen Midian. And the rabbis elaborate that uh, Yitro had experimented with every known religion until he came to the realization of the truth in the one almighty God. And it seems it's only after he gets to Har Sinai and he meets with Moshe and Moshe tells him everything that Yitro at that point accepts upon himself and to convert. And the Pasuk basically says that he he circumcised himself at that point. The Gemara tells us also that Yitro was one of the counselors of Paro along with Bil'am and Iov. And when the prophecy was told of the birth of a baby who would redeem the people from slavery, and they had no idea through the stars if this baby was was an Israelite or an Egyptian, and we understand that that haziness in the stars because we see that Moshe Rabbeinu was born, obviously, uh, uh, as the son of his mother, Yochevet, and his father, Amram, but he grew up as the son of, uh, of, uh, of Batya, the daughter of Paro. So Paro consults with his advisors. They see this child's going to be born. And Bilam advocates the destruction of the children. Iyob, he remained silent. And the Midrash tells us that Yitro defended the children of Israel, and he fled to Midian. Yitro is also called the first convert. So the portion begins with the words, Vayishma Yitro, Yitro heard. And the question is asked by Rashi, what did Yitro hear that made him come? And Rashi answers, two. He heard about the splitting of the sea, and he heard about the war against Amalek. And then Rashi asked him, what did he come to do? He came to convert. Now, we could readily understand why the miracle of the splitting of the sea would prompt someone to convert, especially Yitro. The rabbis explained that when Yitro was back in Egypt and Paro decided to kill the baby boys in the water, he did so for a number of reasons. One being that Paro understood that the Bore Olam, the creator, promised never to bring, bring the flood to the world. And since Paro rejected any possibility of individual divine providence, he felt that he had nothing to fear from the water. Yitro was present, he heard the king's rationale, he saw then the midah keneged midah, which means measure for measure. The rabbis explain this maybe better with the statement, it says, By the measure that man measures, modedin lo, they measure him. 
The Orach Haim HaKadosh suggests that Yitro may have thought all this was to punish Egypt, but did not indicate some special relationship with Am Yisrael. Midah keneged midah. The Egyptians tried, now the Egyptians are getting punished. It was only after witnessing the ability of a group of slaves wandering through the desert and how they were able to fend off and weaken the powerful, armed, and aggressive Amalek, who attacked their weak and most vulnerable, did Yitro acknowledge that these people were truly connected to Hashem. That Hashem, in essence, was destroying Egypt not because he needed to destroy Egypt, but on behalf of B'nai Israel, and Hashem was with B'nai Israel in the desert, even when they were attacked by Amalek. But let me suggest something else. Given that the ten plagues and the destruction of all of Egypt, and then the splitting of the sea, we have to assume that Titro understood absolutely and without doubt that Hashem, the Boreh, which we have often said the world accepted that God was the creator, but they didn't accept the aspect of Hashem being Manhig, also running the world. They figured the Creator came and left. Here they see a detailed divine supervision of every occurrence and every creature. Additionally, as we read each day in Az Yashir, it says, Az Nipalu Alufe Edom. Edom's chiefs panicked. The heroes of Moab were seized with trembling. The residents of Canaan melted away. If ever there was a moment in history when Israel was on top, then this was it. And all this brings me to a question. If the reason for Yitro's conversion was because Israel was undoubtedly on top at that moment, doesn't the Gemara teach that it's precisely at that moment when we are forbidden from accepting converts? The Chachamim write, we, the Jewish people, will not accept converts in the era of the Mashiach. Similarly, they did not accept converts near, neither during the time of David HaMelech nor during the time of Shlomo HaMelech. This is in Avodah Zarah 3b. Perhaps I think this is precisely why Rashi quotes the second opinion of the Gemara as to what Yitro heard. Rabbi Yoshua says that he heard about the war with Amalek. Let's remember, Amalek does not attack B'nai Israel in defense of their land. They're not attacking them in defense of themselves. The motivation of Amalek is simple and pure hatred. They have nothing to gain and everything to lose. B'nai Israel are a nation who just experienced an exodus from the most powerful country in the world. And the entire world was in awe of them. Suddenly, without warning, Amalek attacked them. What they accomplished was that they had cooled down the boiling hot bath without regard for themselves, their losses, and their own pain. Up until that point, Pnei Israel were viewed as invulnerable and untouchable, but Amalek disproved that attitude to the world by attacking them. And as the Pasuk tells us, he attacked the hindmost of you, all those who were feeble at the back. This is the way of those who hate us, to attack the most vulnerable. And although Moshe sent Yoshua to battle Amalek while he prayed with Aaron holding one arm and Hur the other, the war ended far short of a sweeping Israelite victory. We know that the Pasuk says Yoshua weakened Amalek by the sword. But for the most part, it seems to me that this battle ended in a sort of a stalemate. And Amalek, as we know, would remain with us always.
my own conclusion now just to remind everyone typically i'm only a tape recorder playing back what i learned and in this case i'm making a suggestion which you're invited to accept or not is that accepting judaism based on the miracles of the crossing of the sea is not possible but tempering the miracles with the reality of Amalek, with the reality of anti-Semitism unafraid to raise its head only days later, means that Yitzhak saw an entire picture. Yes, we are the chosen people. Yes, we stood at Sinai. Yes, we heard the words of the Creator Himself. Yes, Hashem is involved in each of our lives moment by moment. We see it in the miracles of our own day, the miracles of the Six-Day War, the miracles of building a land. And I just got back from Israel. I had not seen, I had not been there in four years, and places I'd been I had not seen in 30-plus years. And it's, it's miraculous what's going on. A generation ago, the death knell was heard. The tolling of the bell was impossible to miss. Both Jews and non-Jews predicted the demise of a Torah-observant people. Yet today we see more people learning than at any other point since the destruction of the Ben Amikdash, more than two, th I think probably since the first destruction, but for sure since the second destruction almost 2,000 years ago. We see more acts of charity and kindness. This is Hashem's miracle. But we have seen up close what Amalek could do. And still today there is Amalek in the world. The atrocities committed by our enemies during World War II are horrible and beyond understanding. But even more upsetting are what we hear of the atrocities committed by our so-called friends. A few years back, I was sent a story that we wrote about and I'd like to repeat. It was at the death of a man named David Stoliar, who for many years remained a silent witness to the worst civilian maritime disaster of World War II and was the only survivor among nearly 800 Jews fleeing the Holocaust in Romania <clears throat> aboard a refugee ship that was barred from Palestine, interned by Turkey for months, set adrift without power, and torpedoed by a Soviet submarine in the Black Sea in 1942. Even the New York Times noted the sinking of the overloaded ship, a 150-foot steamer called the Strumer, was a calamity compounded by Britain's refusal to admit the refugees into Palestine and by Turkey's 71-day quarantine, ending with the vessel being towed out to sea. The coup de grace was fired by the submarine as the ship lay in the water, seven miles offshore, dead. The war in Europe had been underway for two years, and Jews in Romania, their numbers swollen by refugees from Czechoslovakia, Austria, and Hungary, were perishing under the nation's fascist iron guard. Thousands hoped for passage out of Constanza, Romania's port on the Black Sea, and through the Bosphorus to Palestine. Their desperation was ripe for exploitation. On December 11, 1941, the Struma left Constanza with more than 790 Romanian, Bulgarian, and Russian Jews, crammed into a squalid, leaky former cattle boat with bunks stacked ten high, little food or fresh water, no kitchen, and only eight toilets. There were no life preservers and just two small lifeboats. The crew of 10 was mostly Bulgarians. Passengers paid up to $1,000 each, if you could imagine what that was in 1941. Gouged by a charlatan who lied about the ship's seaworthiness and visas, which were never provided. Mr. Solia's father, a textile manufacturer, paid his passage. 
When the engine failed a few miles out, the captain of a passing tug repaired it in exchange for the passengers' wedding rings, their last valuables. Three days later, as the Struma limped toward Turkey, the engines failed again. Turkish tugs towed it into the Bosphorus, the divide of Europe and Asia. Neutral Turkey, whose leaders feared angering Britain or Germany, interned the Sturma offshore, while its fate was considered. The Jews of Istanbul came to their aid and donated food. But still, as one could imagine, the conditions on the boat deteriorated. Britain, which had control of Palestine, limited Jewish immigration to avoid antagonizing the Arabs and refused to let the passengers continue without visas. Ten were allowed to disembark in Istanbul, a woman who suffered a miscarriage and nine others helped by an American oil executive, the Jewish agency in Palestine, and a Turkish Jew who aided refugees. Finally, the Turks cut the streamer's anchor, towed the ship back into the Black Sea, and set it adrift. It was spotted the next day by a Soviet sub, identified years later as SC-213. Its commander had standing orders from Stalin to sink all neutral ships in the Black Sea to prevent supplies from reaching Germany. Despite the target's benign profile, a torpedo was fired at it in dawn on February 24, 1942. In a gray overcast sky, it struck a midship with an explosion that tore the Struma apart. Everyone but Mr. Stolier died either in the explosion, by drowning, or from hypothermia. Yutudor came to convert. True, Yutudor heard of the miracles and had first-hand knowledge of God's divine providence. But he also knew that there was evil in the world as personified by Amalek and those who would carry his banner. Some who announced themselves as our enemies, but also by those who claimed to be our friends. And it's up to us to change the world and eliminate that evil. I think Yitro understood that life's not so simple and man has to participate in repairing it. God comes to our aid, but man has a job too. Bezrat Hashem, Hashem come to our aid. We should do our job. We should see an end to the anti-Semitism in the world. And we should see Mashiach, Bimenabi Amenu, come and all nations turn to Israel. Have a great day, everybody. Sorry I went a little over time, but we're still less than 15 minutes.